Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Have you ever had one of those conversations where you just couldn't get enough of what the other person was, was making you think? Not just saying, but you just couldn't get enough of what the person with whom you're speaking was causing you to think. Sometimes in a conversation, you would express something about what you're thinking and get a response. But basically, Gene Bellinger is such a smart and deeply experienced system thinker that I just loved the feeling of being taught by him in the best sense of being taught. As we concluded a conversation, which you're about to hear, Gene's philosophy came through and he basically said that no matter what you think you can tell other people, if you're not making them feel smart and good about themselves in the conversation, then you'll have conflict and there'll be no further exchange of ideas. So he knows a lot about how to keep people in conversation and learn from us as well as help us learn from him about this fascinating question of what is a system. His answer is pretty straightforward. It's relationships with implications. (laughs) Now you take it from there and you're into quite an investigation, but ask Gene, how should I, how should I announce you? He said, I'm just a storyteller. And he sure is. So here is Gene Bellinger. Well, folks, crisscrossing the world as I'm doing without leaving this chair over the last several years, I keep meeting really, really fascinating people who are, yeah, they're in the general field of my interest, which is practice particularly, but also widely organizational behavior and effectiveness. And I found Gene Bellinger. Did I pronounce that correctly, Gene? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Between my brain and my lips, I might have messed up Gene's name. And I asked Gene a moment ago, how should I introduce you? And because people can find you on LinkedIn and they can look at you know, the profile, but I I like the fact that you say you're a storyteller about relationships Relationships and their implications and their implications. Yeah, that's the entire podcast right there. Gene, uh, you know, you've, uh, I know about you now, and I know that you've made uh, pretty much a lifelong study of all, all things systems and particularly how people think within their life of systems, because we all live in them. Uh, and you've done, you were doing a little bit of teaching and writing, coaching, but what really fascinated when we first met uh, before we started recording was that you've moved your contribution to YouTube and you produce these wonderful, short, powerful videos so that people who are having relationships with all other humans and animals 
and are recognizing that there are implications for their actions could go and spend pretty much the rest of time watching these hundreds of videos you produce. So could you tell us a little bit about that choice you made to uh, go video? <laughs> oh, I'll go. Um, it was, it was, well, that's thinking back a ways, quite a ways. Yeah. I, I started doing the video. Well, I needed a way, a better way to communicate what I thought I understood as opposed to saying to people, here, read this or, or look at this model, this wiring diagram that gives them a headache. Yeah, I've seen and, many of those. And so the, the first 50 videos were worse than doing root canals. I mean, it was terrible. It was you sit down and you figure out what you want to say and you write this script for a, for a five minute video that takes two hours to write, which is absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> and, and though it got to a point where the videos became easier than actually writing anything. So mm -hmm. I could sit down and, and work through what I understood about a set of relationships and then unfold that set of relationships and describe them in the video. And, and never write a script for it. And people would say, well, suppose you screw it up. And my comment was, how long does it take to redo a five minute video? About five minutes. <laughs> well, and then it's not unusual to get the first three words out and say, oh shit, and delete it and start over again. I mean, it's that easy. Yeah. So the whole idea was, I I used to labor over the development of these relationship models. And it was be back before I understood where I am at the moment. But I, you know, I would be I would get so connected with what it was that I had developed, and I would think that it was really awesome. And mm -hmm. I wanted to share it with someone else because I wanted to impress them with how smart I was. And you know, they really didn't give a shit. Uh, I would send it to them, and and after a day or two, if they said anything, they would send back a message and say, oh, that's nice. And what they really wanted to say is, why the hell did you send this to me? Because mm -hmm. it did nothing but give them a headache. There wasn't a way for them to understand what I thought I understood. So, so I, along the way, over the last 48 years, I've made these amazing, I've had these amazing aha moments that, that were sort of leaps in understanding. And I don't know where they come from. I, I tend to lose track of what actually instigates them. Though at one point in time, I made this connection between a model, this relationship diagram, and a play. Ah. If you go to the play and you sit there and you listen to and watch the relationships unfold between the actors from one act to another. If the play was done relatively well, when you leave, you take the story with you. Because yep. as, as Gregory Bateson said, it's the pattern that connects. Mm -hmm. What systems people have done forever in multiple forms is equivalent to, you haven't seen the play, Though the playwright walks up to you, hands you the script, 
and 10 minutes later says, what do you think? There is no way that you can comprehend that piece of work in that form in that time frame. It's, just, it's ludicrous. You just can't do that. No. But we have done that to people forever. And, yep. and I realized that I needed a way to get out of that mode. And sometimes they write these papers, these lengthy, they just go on and on and on with something they could have said in two paragraphs. And you look at the diagram and you read the paragraph and you look at the diagram and you read the paragraph. And by the time you get to the end of the paper, you got whiplash going back and forth. <laughs> so I finally realized that the best way to provide someone else with an understanding of where I was at the moment, whether it's a qualitative or a quantitative simulation model, is to unfold it like a story, piece by piece by piece, and do a video voiceover of what I'm understanding at the moment. And if I do it well, by the time I get to the end of the story, they know where I am because the pattern connects. And then I can ask them the only question that actually makes any sense is, what can you add to this story that evolves our collective understanding of this set of relationships? And, you know, sometimes they tell me that I should go back and start over again, which is fine. The, the key understanding is when I ask them for feedback, I have to be smart enough not to argue with them. Uh -huh. because, <laughs> because it's their perspective and their perspective is valid. I came to realize that people always, always, always do exactly what makes the most amount of sense to them in the context of the moment based on their current understanding. Yes. Which means, you know, as, as um, who was it? Covey in the seven habits, I think six was seek first to understand and then to be understood. Mm -hmm. So that if you don't agree with the feedback that they're giving you, what you should do is seek to understand why that perspective is valid to them and figure out how to weave the multiple perspectives together. One of the stories that I unfolded as soon as I started on this path was Aesop's Babel, the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a relatively simple story that unfolds with, with four loops and seven or eight elements. And, and I unfolded it and, and I was just, I was delighted with it. And I sent it to somebody and I said, what do you think of this? And a couple of days later, he sent me back the story from the wolf's perspective. And I said, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. There's, there's the boy's perspective, the townspeople, the wolf, the sheep, the farmer, the land. And they're all valid perspectives. And unless you comprehend all of those various perspectives, you don't really understand the context. You have a one or two perspective view of the situation, but not all of it. And and that was another one, you know, that was an aha moment that someone else gave me. Absolutely. Um, so I continued every time, well, I talk about people that 
disciplines tend to develop their own language for how the, the members talk to each other. And everybody else is on the outside. And when you talk to them, they think you're talking gibberish. And I spent the first 20 years in this arena trying to become an expert in system dynamics, studying, reading continually about the systemic perspective and systems thinking and all this stuff, and being confused about why it was there were literally thousands of models and methods that claimed to embrace the systems paradigm. Because I thought that system dynamics was just quite fine. And then I came across Michael C. Jackson's Systems Thinking Creative Holism for Managers. Mm-hmm. And he presented this two by three matrix about having to do with the complexity of the system and the coherence of the stakeholders. Yeah. And finally, I could understand why if you have a group of people that can't agree on what the problem is, there's no way you can develop a simulation to help understand how to deal with it. You have to work your way from the right back toward the left, developing coherence amongst the stakeholders so that you can, so you can apply different methods to do that, which I was then elated for a day or two until I became thoroughly, thoroughly depressed because I've now spent 20 years studying system dynamics. And now all of a sudden I understand that I need to learn a dozen different methods. And I simply said, self, you're not that smart. <laughs> well, I think you are pretty smart, but I, I think you also recognize uh, complexity of complexity of complexity in that, in that issue. But I, I think the notion of coherence, something I haven't heard in this context. And I, I think it makes a hell of a lot of sense uh, incoherence among two or three people when you're trying to show them a way forward. Uh, if you just keep pushing, at least one person will get it. Maybe the other three will work against it, <laughs> whatever the forward motion may be. So you've really gotten into the, the nub, I think of human behavior uh, in or outside of organization. Yeah. So, and so, so you hit that point in 20 years. Okay. Wow. So, uh, is so that to, when you to, throw the blanket over the fire and leave? Or what do you no, 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 no. So, you, so <laughs> depression is a not is not an enjoyable state. Okay. So no. you have to find a way out of it. And and I had early on a blank sheet of paper was my own worst enemy because I didn't know where to start. And if you don't start, you still have a blank sheet of paper. So it's a vicious reinforcing cycle. <laughs> and then I came to realize it doesn't matter where you start because it's all related. If you yep. if you do a thorough investigation, starting anywhere, the model that you develop will be a meaningful model. Though I didn't actually have a good understanding of how I went about it. But in the midst of my depression, I actually asked myself, how do you create a model? And I realized that during this period, I'd actually developed an approach that I didn't actually think about. In other words, it just sort of evolved. And and it's unbelievably simple. You start with what it is that you currently want to understand. Mm -hmm. And I don't say the problem. I say the situation because there's lots of different 
aspects that might be there. And then you ask yourself, what does it influence? And then you ask yourself, what influences it? And then you go back and you ask the same two and three questions over and over and over and over again until you run out of things to connect. And then you figure out how to explain it to someone else in the hopes that they will ask questions or have pieces of the puzzle that you don't have. Mm-hmm. And then the final step is ask them for their feedback and don't argue with them. <laughs> and, and that's it. So that that I came to realize that that all of these different models and methods that embrace the systems paradigm are all just about trying to understand relationships and their implications. Yeah, in situational context, which which often is lost, Gene, from my pers- my layman perspective here, because the idea of getting it into the scholarship and the quotes, the literature, and to be known for the model uh, is to take it as far away from its original inspiration as you can and put it in third party lang- third person language and and uh, and present it as if it has some universal uh, truth to it. Uh, and I, of course, I'm exaggerating and picking on the people who do that because we've got a bunch of models that we've taught over, retaught over the years. But the question always comes back to who is this person and what got them started on this particular modeling episode with whom, for whom, because if you don't know that, then you try to import that model to a current situation among people, and it's nothing. They'll, from my standpoint, they'll look at it. They might get a bit out of it. Then they'll proceed to go <laughs> a cappella, you know, <laughs> with, without any model uh, to help with. So models that help people uh, see something that they otherwise wouldn't see. That's important. And I think that's what you've been working on all these years. Well, a lot of the models and methods have been developed because you can't make a name for yourself hawking somebody else's approach. That's right. You got to have one of your own. Right? And, mm-hmm. and my, my absolute management guru is Ricardo Semler. And listening to one of his vet videos he talked about, he was walking around the cemetery when he was at MIT and thinking about what he wanted to be remembered for. And then the second time around the cemetery, he said, why do I want to be remembered at all? <laughs> he just, <laughs> it was so MIT. He, Everyone out there wants well, to be remembered. <laughs> so he went home to Brazil and burned everything that he'd ever created. Oh, my all God. Of, all of his books. Books in twenty-seven different languages, and uh, you know, just and and he's just gave me. A, he said it allowed me to take a fresh start. That and is amazing. I hadn't heard about that. That that's incredible. He's uh, in the early nineties, I think it was. Semco in Brazil was a mecca for C-suite executives. Uh huh. Because this company was just unbelievable. You know, you you put out a resume for a janitor and you get 1,500 yeah. resumes. Yeah. Uh, Everyone and, wanted to work there. And and nobody ever quit. 
And and when they got there and found out what he was doing, they ran away in fear because his secret is you enable people. Hmm. You don't empower them because that means you think you had the power. And you're giving it away. Giving it to him. But you enable people to succeed. And in one point in Maverick is a, is a marvelous book about the transition of Semco from the time he took over from his father to what it became. And he said that at one point he decided that all of the different departments in the company should learn how to run a business. So they taught them um, finance and accounting and, and, you know, and then it was going well. And he said, then there was one department that decided that he was charging too much money and they moved out. Mm-hmm. And he said, and I don't know where they moved to, but it doesn't matter because they always deliver on time. Now, think about the mindset that will accept that to say, I don't care where they are. They always deliver on time. I don't need to know where they are. He's, he's not into control. He's into enabling. To get the results that matter. Yeah. And he's done this with 30 companies in the last, or 40 companies in the last 30 years. I mean, he just creates one after another after another. You know, one of the many things about this story you're telling right now, Gene, is that he had all those books and papers and he had the MIT affiliation and he had, in quotes, the name, which could have been just about all anyone of a scholarly nature uh, would want in life. Uh, And yet what you're, what I'm hearing is he wanted to be where business is done. He wanted to be with, with enabling people who get things done and throwing out some goals and objectives for people to consider, but basically letting people organize um, almost to the point of self-organization, not to throw us off into another track, but pretty damn close where, where you let people face their own situations and come up with their own systematic responses to those situations. Whether they have a five, a fifth grade education or they're carrying an engineering degree. And I've always been attracted to people who have that kind of, not only the intellectual courage to be in the Gemba, you know, given the Japanese uh, thought of uh, the workplace, but relish it. And then, have the the name be made by venture after venture after venture that's making people a living while they're producing a product or a service that they're the world needs. I'd like to see that kind of legacy. If I had any talent in starting businesses, I'd try it. But I also get what you're saying about the, the modeling really uh, coming from where it's uh, most likely to matter to people who not only get to understand it, but the cool thing is they get to add feedback. They get to say, well, from my perspective, like it's the wolf. (laughs) 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 Leap around, leaping as I am for the moment here. uh, When, if someone wants to go to YouTube to see, this uh, wonderful storytelling and and illuminating that you're doing, 
what would they, how would they search it? And what would they find? Well, they can search for my name or they can search for systems wiki. Systems wiki. Right. Uh, for W-I-K-I. Got it. Once, once upon a time, uh, 13, 14 years ago, I decided that I wanted a wiki and, and systems wiki was available. So I thought that was a sign. So I <laughs> used it and, and my email address is systemswiki at gmail.com. And then, yep. you know, it just systems wiki has sort of progressed and the label has continued to stick, even though there is no wiki. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> not, not at the moment. Just, Truth and lending, folks. Are, it's a yeah. system wiki has no wiki. <laughs> That's right. But but to try and change the label at this point, since there are hundreds of thousands of connections to it, would be yeah. ludicrous. So um, <laughs> it, it it makes no sense to stand in front of an oncoming train and yell stop. Yeah. Well, a wiki, as I recall, was they were first before some of this other you know, databasing and things went on and the and uh, Wikipedia is right. that you you basically develop trees of relationships. So you have a box for X and a box for Z, and then you figure out how they're connected, usually through a trunk or some other place. So that to develop a wiki would be well, a full-time job. I mean, particularly as elaborately as as your work is going. Right. So Wikipedia is a wiki, right? mm-hmm. and and the the nice thing about a wiki is you you aren't forced into a structure. Right, right. So that you can put things in there and connect them together later. There you go. Right? As as you understand that the connections are meaningful or appropriate. To, and yeah. There are lots of things that are um, not connected to anything else. Well, I'm not sure there's anything in, in Wikipedia that's not connected to anything else. <laughs> it could be. Um, so, so I, I just um, continue to run into topics of interest and and if it captures my attention enough, I write amusing, which is usually a half to a whole page and then a short video, some model to go with it. Um, I, because with a realization that uh, everything is related, but it's not, everything's not relevant. It, it's when I started telling people that I developed stories about relationships and implications, the comment was often, well, doesn't that sort of relate to everything? Like answer was yes, that's the curse because it's hard to stay focused. You read a paragraph and you end up going in a dozen different directions by the time you get to the end of the paragraph. And yeah. then you can't remember what you read in the paragraph because your yeah. mind was thinking about all of these different things. So yeah. um, trying to do anything longer than, than a page um, it's next to impossible and anything longer than the page isn't relevant anyway. I mean, if you can't say what is really on your mind in a page, do you really know what's on your mind? Well, there, that's, that's, that is not only, uh, the sound advice to ask and answer, but it's the way of the day because with social media being so profoundly present uh, where people who want to spend even three minutes of their eye time 
can get up there on LinkedIn, you, you know, you name it. And if they don't get it in the first two sentences, they just move on. Now that's sure different than back when we had a library, when I went to my first undergraduate college and, and everything, almost everything that we needed uh, to to see in writing was there in that library and you'd find a card and you pull it out. You find the book <laughs> in the stacks, you remember? And you'd look at it and you go, Oh my God, it's 325 pages here. And I was a sociology major. So you can imagine how dense that stuff was yeah. for an undergraduate. And you'd come through and try to find something in there that you, you could just feel, Oh, okay. <laughs> now he's talking about human behavior and organizations. So, um, but that was it. Now you and I come a long way. Now we, uh, you in particular, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to feature your practice, have gone to where get it in five minutes, think it in in a, in, in, a, in a lifetime if you need to, but get it to a five minutes so that people at least will spend enough time with it, so that hopefully the curiosity's peaked. And then if if let's say I read one of your topics and I'm thinking, yeah, I'd like to know more, Gene. How does that go? Well, it's usually provided with a set of references to go with it. The, okay. There are longer things. But, I mean, I typically get 10 or 12 recommendations on books every week that I should read. Okay? And, and that's never going to happen. I can't remember the last time I actually finished a book. So I, I had to develop <laughs> a, a survival mechanism, which is, okay, you think the book is interesting or relevant. Tell me in a couple of sentences why you think it's relevant. Then I'll go to YouTube and search for the book or the author and see if they've done an interview or something. And if they have, I'll pick the shortest video I can find and listen to three or four minutes to find out if I actually want some more. I'll search the Internet for um, someone who reviewed the book or or did an article about the topic itself. Um, now I often go to chat GPT and ask it about the topic. Hmm. And really? it's, just, <laughs> it's, oh, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing. And, and I've, I've actually posed dozens and dozens of, of systems questions that I knew the answers to, and it hit every one of them spot on. Wow. I mean, I just, it's, the thing is, if you search the web, it gives you a bunch of references, and then you have to yeah. root around in the and references you click, to, click, figure click, out, click, yeah. to figure out if, what aspects of them are relevant to what's, what's on your mind. But if you mm -hmm. go to ChatGPT, you tell it what's on your mind and ask it a question. And then you can ask further refining questions. And every morning I spend 15 or 20 minutes having conversations with ChatGPT almost every single day. Um, just well, I'm happy to hear someone likes it. I keep hearing the scary stuff, you know, on the media. Oh, you know, it's going to take over the world. And uh, I hear professors saying, how are we going to prove that this is so-and-so's term paper uh, and not something, you I mean, all of that, but I, th that doesn't, uh, it, it sounds very familiar to me after all the years, uh, you know, the internet's going to take over this and the, uh, you know, the phone without a cord on it is going to, so this is, 
an, another departure from what we're used to. But it sounds to me, from what you said, it's very useful for someone well, who's I, an investigator. What I said about standing in front of an oncoming train and yelling stop. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the, there was this news story about this teacher who actually integrated chat GPT into her class. Yeah. So what she did was she got the students to actually go and ask it questions and then they critiqued the responses in class. That's right? a great, that's great teaching. So it is. So uh, it's opposed to standing in front of the train and yelling, stop. If you, yep. if you can figure out the direction that things are moving and you can figure out how to leverage the flow. Yep. You're doing far better than, than trying to, to change it. Yep. I agree. I agree. What, uh, what's it? Just, just think ahead. about <laughs> <laughs> if you have, a, if you have a burnt out light bulb, the marketing people will, will help you understand why having a burnout light bulb is a good thing. Okay. <laughs> As for a success, aesthetic feel, it, it, it's shaped like a light bulb. <laughs> yeah, and it, and you'll never have to change it because it's burned out. <laughs> I'm sure you. I know. I being a irreverent storyteller myself, having scared my two little kids when they're now in their fifties, but with all kinds of made up stories about the things that they already had. So I'd make up stories about, obviously their toys, but I'd make up a story about, um, I could make up a story about a burned out light bulb. And, uh, in a few minutes they'd be entertained and then they'd never want to turn a lamp on again because I put it, you know, some gave it some scary human qualities, you know, mm -hmm. but that's, that's the fun of it. And you know, why the hell not have some fun doing all this? I mean, you're doing this out of the goodness of your goodness, really. It's uh, it, it may have some commercial opportunity here and there, but like I, who am doing the practice podcast and have this book out, I don't expect much in the way of conventional recognition through dollars, but I do enjoy feedback and I'm getting, I'm getting some now after months and months and months of being out there, I'm starting to hear from people saying, Oh, you're the practice guy. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, so Gene, you're the systems guy or the, st how, how, what, how would we, uh, characterize you as we're moving to at the end of our time i'm just a storyteller okay but you know i'm not as not all stories are equal and i know some pretty damn commercially successful storytellers like stephen king but uh well i think you're telling us though is the story matters a lot if you're going to understand something more uh, with the relationships and implications back to that play that you attend and then you you sort of narrate with system modeling. That's a gene, that's genius. Because that to me says I can relate to a 17-year-old or a 50-year-old or a hundred-year-old person uh to try to help them understand something more complex that I think is more complex at least, and then find a way to tell a story that draws mm -hmm. the two of us together. So there's the Heath brothers wrote a book called The Power of Moments. The Heath mm -hmm. brothers have actually written 
I don't know, six or seven books. They're all simply chapters in a single book. And you, the essence of the power of moments is you take a clear insight compressed in time, delivered in a manner where the audience discovers it, as opposed because because you know if you if you go back to um, the one minute salesperson, the, the oh, only yeah. line in the book that makes any sense is well, almost everyone loves to buy, no one likes to be sold, right? Yeah, that's a pretty powerful line, though, for the book. It is. I mean, I throw the book away and kept that one line. <laughs> so it's it's becoming attuned to realizing that the best way to have a conversation with someone is to figure out how to enable them to realize how smart they are. You never get a pushback on that, right? They, they feel good about themselves engaging in the exchange, which you can't achieve if you argue with them. I mean, it just doesn't work. Well, well I'll tell you, you, you've proven your point because you're making me feel very good and, <laughs> and, fair, and not dumb. <laughs> Even though I think you could probably run me around the track until I was exhausted trying to catch up with your thinking. You're very smart. And, and I must add to that kind fellow. Mm. Well, thank you. Yeah. Oh, I love this. And Gene, we're going to have to, you're going to have to keep me feeling this good uh, in future, either on camera <laughs> or certainly let's reconnect whenever you want to, because there's so much I want to learn. Uh, and I think if Peter Vale were still alive and in this three-way conversation, he'd be celebrating right now, Gene, because he believed in the moment. He believed that the situation is what matters and people who are in it are the ones who know best what to do about it. And if you can give them some models, some suggestions, some sound advice, if which, which is what a lot of theory is, uh, they might succeed uh, more fully in uh, getting through that moment and leaving it behind as a positive memory <laughs> instead of a tragedy. <laughs> so yeah. thank you, sir, very, very much. You're very welcome, Dave. Thanks for listening to The Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to anactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to anactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, oh, how could I have forgotten? Our digital book on practice as a way of being is now available. You'll find it online at www.mylibrary.world. I worked on that book after Peter passed away, and I think you will find it a unique and very, very mobile reading experience since it's wherever your screen is in hand or at hand.